It may surprise uh, some of you to know this, but uh, my family did not attend church very regularly when I was growing up. And that's not a knock against my mom and dad. My mom is a Christian, my dad is a Christian, and they both love the Lord and are wonderful people. And, And even now, they are very involved in their church families. But for some reason, as we were growing up, we just were not very consistent in going to church. And I suppose as I first got involved with church that that was a little bit of a disadvantage for me. And some of you can kind of understand that. I remember when uh, Shannon and I, I started going to church with Shannon. And I remember that uh, the church that her dad pastored had hymnals. And I remember that they would say, okay, we're going to sing. And they would say the song. And everybody would open the book exactly where they were supposed to be. They didn't say the page number. They said, we're going to sing such and such, and everybody would just open it up. I'm like, how do you people know this? How do you know? And and so I said, well, there's got to be a table of contents, and it wasn't even at the beginning. The table of contents was at the end. And then I noticed as you started singing that that apparently hymnals are set up in such a way that, that you sing the first line, then you go down several lines, and you sing the first line, and then, you know, and I finally caught on. You understand what I'm saying? That's why we try to explain things here at New Hope, to to be thoughtful that, you know what, that's the way people feel when they come to church for the first time. Maybe they don't know all of those things. But you know, actually, even though it was a little bit of a disadvantage at first, I've actually found that as a pastor, my previous inexperience with church earlier in life has in fact helped me in some ways. In fact, it's helped me in this way. I did not realize that apparently there are some things you're not supposed to talk about at church. And over the years, I've had Christians try to educate me that, that you know what, Pastor Robbie, there are some things you're not supposed to talk about. I've got a good Greek word for that, baloney. <laughs> and let me tell you why. It's kind of funny to think about, but let me tell you why, because it's very serious. Many pastors over the years have shied away from certain topics, and as a result of that, people are not hearing what God's Word has to say, how it comes to bear on certain aspects of our lives, and as a result of that, we find ourselves in bondage. Jesus says in John chapter 8, you will know the truth, actually back up from that in verse 31, if you continue in my Word then you are truly disciples of mine. And then in verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's why we need to share what God's Word has to say about our lives so that people can find freedom in the truth that God has given us in His Word. That bondage is especially true of the topic that we're going to explore together today. In the last message of our series, The Hardest Things to Give to God, we're going to talk about money. One of the hardest things for me, one of the hardest things for us to turn over to the Lord is my money. And we're going to look at several passages this morning in order to answer a few critical questions about this topic. And the first question is this, have you ever thought about this? Why is this such a struggle for us? Why is it that money is one of the hardest things to talk about, much less to give over to the Lord? Isn't it kind of odd when you think about it? Why, of all the things in my life, I got this, I got this, I got this. Why is it that this one is so difficult? And that's the thing I want to look at in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. 
And I think as we look at these verses spoken by Jesus, Jesus helps us understand a little better why this particular area of our lives is such a challenge for us. In fact, I would even say to you, it is, a, it is an area of spiritual warfare. The enemy loves to keep us away from God's truth so that we can stay in bondage. Jesus basically challenges us with four different kinds of questions in these verses. First of all, what are you going to invest in? What are you going to give your heart to? What's most going to influence your life? And who's going to call the shots in your life? Let's look at these verses. He says in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's very clear, isn't it? I mean, Jesus just comes right out. It's very plain. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, we do have a sense in our hearts that we're supposed to be investing in something, don't we? We have a sense in our heart that we should be saving up for some rainy day. He says, but instead of doing that, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because there neither moth nor rust can destroy, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Then he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, Jesus says, and given an illustration. He says, so then, if your eye is clear, if it is healthy, is another way to translate that or interpret that. He says, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Then in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he just comes straight out and says it. Listen, guys, as followers of mine, you cannot serve God and wealth. It is impossible. They are diametrically opposed. You cannot serve God and the things of this world. Now, let's look back at those verses. First of all, Jesus challenged them in verses 19 through 20 with the thought of, you've got to think about what is it that you're going to invest your life in. The reason this is such a struggle for us is because it helps make the decision in our life of what we're going to invest in. Jesus says you have to be careful because you have two choices in life. You can invest in earthly things, Or you can invest in eternal things. We can decide to focus on short-term gains of temporary things. Now, how did he say it was temporary? He says where moth and rust will eventually destroy. Or somebody can just come along and take it from you. He says you can invest in those things. Or you can invest in long-term eternal rewards or eternal returns that can never be taken away or diminished whatsoever. The reason this is so critical for our lives, friends, is because God is saying to us, we're going to make a decision about what we are going to invest our lives in, and this is part of that struggle. Secondly, he says, you got to think about what are you going to give your heart to? He says, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. He says, this first question, that investment question, is really going to help you decide where your focus in your life is going to be, what you're giving your heart to. And so the reason this is such a struggle is because this is really going to decide what the priorities are in my life. And then he says in verses 22 through 23, it's about deciding what's most going to influence your life. Jesus says, this begins to get at the core of our choice in life. 
of how we're going to live. We just sang a song that said, we as Christians are called to walk by what? To walk by faith and not by sight. That actually is mentioned several times in the Bible. One of the, one of the examples is Romans 1 verse 17. But you can find several examples of the Bible where God says, my people are to walk by faith and not by sight. But our natural tendency is to walk by sight and not so much by faith. Right? That's how we lean. And so he uses that example in verses 22 and 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. What Jesus is saying is, if your eye is working right, he's talking about in a spiritual sense, if your eye is healthy, if it's seeing things the way it should, and taking the things around it in, in the right way, in other words, not letting what I see be my main influence, if my eye is not controlling how I'm living, then the rest of my body and my life will be in a good place, right? He says, but if my eye is the focus and I'm living, if it's not in the right place and I'm looking around and seeing the things around me and I'm letting those things control me, then the rest of my life is going to be in the wrong place as well. And then he gives us the last of those examples in verse 24. He says, who's really going to be the boss? Now, in, in biblical terms, we, uh, we use the term Lord, right? Jesus is our Lord. But really, in contemporary terms, we don't use the term Lord as much, but, so we might interpret that as boss. Who's going to be the boss in our lives? Well, isn't it interesting of all the things the Bible warns us to be careful about controlling our lives, Jesus picks out here, He says, when you're making a decision about which direction your life is going to go, you need to think about you're going to have a struggle between God and stuff. One of those is going to control your life. You cannot serve God and the things of this world. This is amazing. Jesus has basically given us several different ways of issuing the same challenge. Our approach to money and material possessions is going to have a huge impact on our lives. And I believe that's why it's such a struggle for us. It's at the core of our decision about who we're going to be and who's going to control us and what direction our life is going to go. I want you to think about it for just a minute. Why do people get fighting mad? When you talk about money at church, of all topics, you can talk about anything else, but don't you talk about my pocketbook. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Isn't that interesting? It should say to us, wow, wow, this must be a pretty important area. And why is it that as we're growing in our relationship with God, many times our bank account is the last thing that we surrender to the Lord. It's because our approach to money goes to the core of our relationship with God. That leads us to the next question, though. Whose stuff is it anyway? Let's look at uh, Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. It's kind of odd for us to even be talking about this when you think about this one. It says, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Why? For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now, verse 2 is basically just a way of saying God created it all. Okay, it was his idea that there would ever even be a universe. 
okay? He's God. He always has been. We just sang that yesterday, today, and forever. He's always existed, and he decided somewhere in eternity past that there would be a universe and that we would exist and that everything that is in this universe would be. Now, hopefully, as you and I are growing in our relationship with God, hopefully we're beginning to realize how good God has been to us. Hasn't he been good to us? I mean, think about it. Why was I born? Have you ever just stopped and thought, why was I born? Why was I blessed to be born in the United States of America? Does that not just wash over you? Of all people and of all places in the world, why was I given this privilege? Why was I born? I was talking about my mom and dad earlier. I am so blessed to have the family, the parents that I grew up with. My mom and my dad, they love me. They support me. They, they, they try to do right and to raise me the right way and to do the right things. Why was I blessed with that? Why, why was I given such a wonderful wife? Why was I given this church family? Why was I given this? Did y'all know? I find that a lot of people don't realize this who've grown up in this community. This is, this is the best community I've ever lived in in my life. Did you know that? I mean, I'm talking about the safest, cleanest, friendly. I mean, this is the best place I've ever lived in my life. I thank God that he blessed me with the, with the, the privilege of growing up in the Adirondacks. I mean, just Incredible. Thank you, Lord. Why are you so good to me? Thank God for, our ch- for a church family, amen? What would it be like to go through life without people around you to encourage you and support you and to help you to grow and to serve, to serve God together? But if there is one area where we are tempted to think, but I did this one myself, it's the area of money. I got up in the morning. I worked hard. I put in the time, I put in the effort, I saved, I skimped, I made it happen. But who gave you the life to live? Who gave you the opportunity? Who gave you that drive, that ambition, that work ethic? Who gave you the health even to be able to rise out of bed? Who gave you all of that? The Bible says... That God created all this, it's all his stuff, and he has some stuff, and he shared it with me. Isn't that kind of cool? It tells you what kind of heart God has, doesn't it? He's a God who shares. Write down James chapter 1, verse 17. In James 1, verse 17, it reminds us that everything in our lives that is good came from God. It says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Friend, if there is anything in your life that is in the category of, wow, I am so glad that this is in my life. Whatever that is, you can, at the end of that, you can put, thank you, Lord. Every good gift, every perfect thing, everything in your life that is a blessing to you, you can say, thank you, God, for Write down 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. The Corinthians were, like many Christians, uh, they were, they were, as they were walking with the Lord, sometimes they, they, they got things sideways. And they got things a little bit sideways and, and kind of thinking after a little while that, that they were sort of the ones who were so hot, not God. Okay, And then Paul just sort of gently challenged them. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse, actually verse 7, he says, for, for who regards you as superior? 
what do you have that you did not receive? Okay, they were sort of bragging about some things that they had as if they had come up with it. He says, why do you think you're so hot? Because what, if you've got anything great, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? If we are ever going to give the Lord this area of our lives, and it is critical that we do, we must change from a mode of ownership to stewardship. Okay, now stewardship is kind of a word that we use in church a lot. And so let me just kind of put it maybe in regular everyday terms. It's really about management. Okay, the Bible describes in many different ways that and you look at some of Jesus' parables. Many of his parables are about God has entrusted to us. It's all his stuff and he has entrusted to us some of his things. By the way, the first of which is your soul. God gave you this very life to live. And the first thing that you should say is, God, I do not know how to manage this. Amen? And some of you think it's a shame to say that. It is not a shame. It is the best place in your life to get to, to finally say, I give. Time out. I surrender. I cannot control, Robbie. I give that to you first, Lord. That's the first stewardship. And then begin the process of the rest of your life saying, Jesus, I can't control the rest of Robbie. So would you take this? And would you take this? Amen? Hopefully that's what we're all doing right now. If you haven't trusted your life to Jesus Christ, that's the first step. And then to spend the rest of your life, just Jesus, continue to speak to me about what it is that I have not yet turned over to you. I want you to think about like this. What if somebody left you to watch their house? I want to tell you, and I know, you know, we need to share things together and things like that. But I got to tell you, I struggle with borrowing somebody else's car. I really do. I mean, because I'm like, I guarantee the day will be the day I have a wreck. Okay. And I just, I just don't want to wreck your car. I don't want to do that. I don't want to cause you those problems. Think about it. If somebody left you in charge of their house for the weekend. I would imagine if somebody said, hey, can you house sit for me this weekend? I can imagine walking in. I'd take my shoes off, wouldn't you? I'd say, I don't want to get the carpet dirty. I'd be thinking about conserving some water. I'd be thinking about, hey, if I'm going to wash some clothes or whatever, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to combine loads of clothing. You know, I don't want them to come back and say, man, my water bill, what was Robbie doing here? Just like turning the faucet on and running out in the tub, you know? I wouldn't want somebody to come home and say, hey, good grief, what would you have the thermostat set on, like 85 or something? I mean, I'd probably have it cranked down a couple of notches. I'd be like, hey, this is somebody else's house. I just want to make sure they come back and find it the same way they want they left it. All right, but now when I'm through house sitting, I'm going back to my house. When I walk in my house, if I don't want to, I'll leave my shoes on. I'll walk across that floor. If I want to, I'll vacuum it. If not, I'll just get some more carpet, right? <laughs> if I want to take eight showers today, I'll take eight showers. If I want to, I'll crank it up to 87 degrees and just sweat it out right there in my house. (laughs) Because it's my house. Isn't it a big difference? When you are watching somebody else's stuff. Now listen, I don't think God wants us to worry about every half a degree on your thermostat. I'm not saying that. Okay, But, but we should approach it more like that first thought than that second one. More like stewardship and management instead of ownership. 
Even, even our giving is like, you know, I don't know if you ever thought about this this way, but there's a great passage in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 14. David, uh, as he was uh, helping the nation of Israel prepare to build the temple, he says about these amazing offerings they gave, listen to this. I don't know if you ever noticed this passage. David says to the Lord in, in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this. For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. What's he saying? God, it's got to be kind of weird that you gave us stuff, and we offer it back to you. It seems like you would just say, that was already mine anyway. You didn't give me an offer. Anybody, anybody, any parents here ever given your kids money to buy you a birthday present? <laughs> I would almost just say, forget it. I'm keeping the money. That's my birthday present. <laughs> this is not real. We're just pretending here. By the way, we don't have time to dig into that, but I think it has a lot to say about God's heart. Why would you do that with your child? Because you're being very gracious, you're being very kind, you're sharing with them, you want them to participate in something, even though really they didn't buy that gift for you. David says, God, this is, this is kind of strange. All things come from you and from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you and tenants as, as all of our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand and all is yours. David was just overwhelmed with the thought that, God, you know what? These wonderful things have happened, but really, we were just giving you back what was already yours. And that leads us to the final thing that many of us struggle with in the area of money. Why is this such a struggle? Well, because God says, and friends, clearly, it's throughout the Word. We struggle. The core comes down to that walking by sight, not by faith thing. The core comes down to it's either we're going to focus on this world or we're going to focus on eternal things. It's a struggle for us, and God needs to get the victory. Whose stuff is it anyway? Why are we struggling so much? We're saying, God, I'm not sure if I want to give you yours. That's weird, isn't it? If we think about it. But then finally, a big struggle we have is, will God provide if I tithe? Now, I want to teach you on this because many people have no understanding. You don't even know. You say, what is a tithe? A tithe is the biblical principle that when God gives me increase, that I give to him 10% back to support his work in this world. That when God blesses me through my work or through whatever, however God increases me, that I say, God... Before I do anything else, I want to give back to you and to your work. Now, one of the main verses that talks about that is Malachi 3, verses 8 through 12. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, as the Lord of hosts, test me. See if I won't open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, the the fruit of their labor, 
nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And then in verse 12, all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, many times, as we look at these verses, many times we tend to focus on that robbing God part. And let me just say, we ought to think of it that way. We ought to consider that. It's like that person left you in charge of their house. Now, think about this. Somebody leaves you in charge of their house and say, hey, I left a check on the counter. I need to pay my national grid bill. I'm going to be out of town. Could you use that check and go pay my national grid bill? Would you ever take that check and say, um, I think I'm going to kind of use that. Absolutely. I'd be afraid the check would get blown. I'd keep the window closed because I wouldn't want the wind to blow it out of the way, right? I'd be nervous. I'd probably, I'd say, when's that due date? I'd probably pay it two days early, afraid that I would miss paying it, right? When someone leaves us in charge of something else, we'd be thinking, you know, I want to make sure I take care of that. I want to challenge you. There ought to be some things in your home that you say we are not going to do. I want to tell you, in our house, we are not entertaining divorce. It's not on the table. It doesn't matter what's happening. And and I know some of you have been through divorce, and that's not guilt or shame. I'm just saying from here on out, this ought to be your challenge. The relationship you're in forward, you ought to say, whatever happens, it's not on the table. That's not the option. Whatever else we're working with, we're not going there. Now, this might sound dramatic to you, but I was thinking about this week. I I just want you to understand how I believe the Bible teaches this. In our marriage, not tithing is not an option. We don't go there. It's not even a question. And and I I think the reason we don't understand that is because we don't see it as holy to the Lord. Okay? That tithe, okay, that is God's. So it's like, okay, God gave me $10 bills. And so I said, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, take one, that's God's, right? Take the other nine, I'm supposed to use that for other things. But I'm kind of thirsty. I think I'm going to go get a Coke. I think I'm going to use God's dollar. I would never do that, would you? I would never do that. That's the way we ought to see it, is that we are robbing the Lord of his rightful do. Okay, but what I really want to focus on today is the blessing part that many of us are missing. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. In verses 10 through 12, the Lord says, test me now in this and see if I will not pour out a blessing for you. Now, I want you to understand what that's saying. In general, the Bible says you and I should not test the Lord. Okay, that is very clear. Matthew 4, I think it's verse 7, Jesus was being tempted by the devil. The devil says, prove that you are the Son of God. Go up on top of this building, the temple, go up onto the pinnacle of the temple and jump off because the Bible says, uh, the Word of God says that God will rescue you. And Jesus says, no, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God, what? To the test. Okay? And I just want to tell you, there's some, some Christians that kind of go that direction. They think they go jump off of a building or, hey, if I walk across Corinth Road this morning, God will save me. You know what? God also has factored in his plan, your dumb decisions, okay? <laughs> so he may just let that car smack you. And when you're standing in front, of, and in fact, I won't say he may. I will say he likely will let you. Go ahead and do that. And then you're going to be standing there saying, God, why didn't you save me? 
think that's pretty self-explanatory. Amen? But in this area, God says, go ahead. Dive in. I will catch you. Wow. Wow. Many people give reluctantly or conditionally, if I can, or I guess I have to, we should give expectantly. We should give enthusiastically. In fact, I want you to think about it like this. From what this says, we should probably consider it like this. If I am not tithing, if I am not doing my finances God's way, I am probably making it harder on myself. Did you hear that? See, we think if I do this, it's going to make it harder on me. But God says, no, you're doing it the hard way. I can't make it go as far as God can. Another passage, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11. He says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And by the way, if you're here saying, okay, I'll do it. He says, just never mind. He says, each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Here, let me grab your arm and twist it. God says, just never mind. It's mine anyway. What does God want? He doesn't want that money. He wants your what? Your heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now listen to verse 8. And God, listen to the superlatives, the first of which is God. He's a superlative, amen? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, I'm kind of thinking God's got it covered from these verses, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. What he's saying is if you will begin giving to the Lord and to his work, he will bless you and provide for all that you need. But in addition to that, it's not just you that he will bless. He will use your life to be a blessing. I love Malachi 3.12. I love that verse. Because it says, All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land. He says, Test me now in this. Let there be food in my house, the Lord says. In 2 Corinthians, he's saying, I'm going to funnel resources to you so that you can use them to be a blessing to others. Now listen, I believe this, God is giving us a glimpse of what, friends, the world thinks of the church, God help us. And so they think of God as needing some help. The world thinks of the church as us going out there. We're having a bake sale. We're having a yard sale. We need to raise some funds because, man, we're barely getting by. And so, therefore, God's barely getting by. That's a pretty weak view of God, isn't it? What the world ought to see is, especially in these tough economic times, God's place, God's family is where you go for help. You know what I love about this facility? 
it shouldn't have been built during a recession. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? That when the world says we're shutting down for a while, got to wait for a little bit, God's building. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a testimony for him? Praise the Lord. Because you have been a part of what God's doing. God is working through you for people to say, wow, well, that happened during this time. And that's just a symbolic, that's just a symbolic a picture. But really, it ought to be when the government is even saying, and I think you're going to see as, as finances get worse in our government, which I don't even know how it could get worse. But as they get worse, I think you're going to see a lot more openness to faith and charity and help organizations. And all those legalities are going to go away because they're going to just say, we can't do it. Much of the help across the, the nation, people will tell you, is people of faith serving the Lord. And that's the way it ought to be. That's the picture that it ought to be. I was sharing about the principle of partnership at our discovery class yesterday. We were having a new member class and I shared with the people at that class just the, the group of churches that we're connected with. Last year, our international missions offering was $185 million. Okay, raise your hand if you could have done that by yourself. Raise your hand. I see a hand. Is that okay? Not okay. <laughs> she was scratching her cheek. <laughs> okay, so nobody here can do 185 million by yourself? But together, partnering with thousands of other churches, we did that. God did that through us. Amen? Isn't that cool? Let me cast a vision for you of what we could do together if we all partnered in this way. With a very conservative estimate of our church family. I, I don't know what anybody gives except me and Shannon, okay? Unless you've told me, and I don't remember anybody telling me. So I don't know what anybody gives. I don't know what your income is, but just a very conservative household income. You know what we could do over the next five years? We could completely pay off this facility. We could bring our associate pastors to full-time and still have $100,000 a year additional for missions and ministry. That's not with a big fundraising campaign. That's just us doing what God said do. Why? Wouldn't that be beautiful? I mean, a giving church, a gracious church, a generous church, people start saying, wow, something's happening there, amen? Hey, when we have our soccer clinic, isn't it cool? Guess how much we charge for it? Zero. And you know what? Kids walk out of the building with a T-shirt and a trophy and a soccer ball and a Bible, and their parents are like, so where's the donation box? No, God took care of it. Isn't that cool? There's a huge difference between charging 50 cents and zero. We get to say, hey, this is a free gift. And it's just like the gift that God wants to offer to you of himself. I want to just say this to you as a challenge. If you decide this morning to make a commitment, I will challenge you for the next three months to make that commitment to tithe. If God doesn't provide for you, we will refund your money in full at the end of three months. To Pastor Robbie, wow. That is God's word. I trust him. I'm going to trust him for you. 
So you don't have anything to lose. Amen? Money is one of the hardest things for us to give to the Lord. It's proof this morning by you sweating. (laughs) Honey, hold on. If we can just get through another few minutes, the money message will be over. Some of you are going to go home and say, oh, man, I was going to sleep in this morning. If I know Pastor Robbie's preaching on that, I've already heard that before. If that's the way you want to approach it, then you're going to miss something from Jesus. Because he said, this is something that we, and by the way, I think probably most of the world would say, not a problem for us. If anybody needs to hear this message, It's us Americans. It is so much our filter that we don't even know. So I just want to challenge you this morning. It's a hard thing, isn't it? There were people who turned away from Jesus because of this thing. This morning, would you come to Jesus and say, no, I get it. I used to think, because I was so affluent, because I had a couple of cars, because I had a nice 401k, that I was all set. But now I realize... I can't put my hope in those things. And Jesus, I'm going to give my life to you this morning. Would you do that? Would you trust in him? Maybe you're a Christian here this morning and God is speaking to your heart. This is the next step for you. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7 says, As you're abounding in every other area of your life, abound in this area also. Grow in this work also. Maybe this is the next step of growth for you. Say, you know what? I have not trusted God in this way, and it's time for me to step out. It's pretty cool that he's given you back up and said, don't worry, I got you back on this one. Isn't that cool? Whatever it is today, would you trust him? Bow with me for just a moment as we think about what God's saying to us. If you're our guest here this morning, let me just share with you at the end of our service, we have a time where we kind of think about what God's saying to us. So I want to encourage you to do that right now, just to be still. And we're going to pray together, and then in just a moment, we're going to sing a closing song as we kind of think about what God is speaking to us about. But would you just say, God, why did you bring me here this morning? You know, even there might be somebody here this morning that you don't struggle with money because you have too much of it. You struggle because you don't have any of it. And right after where we read Matthew 6, it deals with that. We just didn't have time to deal with it this morning. Whatever it is this morning, would you say, God, would you help me? I'm having a hard time trusting you right now, Lord. I don't see where it's going to come from. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job next week. Lord, you know it's hard for me to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm weak. I'm a human being, Lord, and I need God to, to help me. And if you're that person that has never trusted in the Lord, would you just say, Jesus, I come to you right now. I'm no longer kidding myself into thinking that I can do it without you. Maybe God's not even speaking to you about money or finances. Maybe it's just revealed something else that he's speaking to your heart about. Heavenly Father, I thank you for speaking to us this morning. And I pray whatever you're wanting to do, Lord, right now we'd, we'd let you do that. In Jesus' name, amen.